0: Thank you, gentlemen. Beautiful song, wasn't it? Just think, maybe we'll all be able to sing like that when we get to heaven. For some of us, and I include myself, it'll probably take more practice. But maybe we'll get there. I was thinking of the story that Bonnie was telling. I wasn't going to tell this part in my opening part of the sermon But I had a church out in western Nebraska where one of my church members out in the sand hills of Nebraska, if you've ever been there, it's just grass going up one hill and down the other. Grass covers the the sand so it won't blow. So about the only thing that you could have out there is sheep and cattle. And this church member had sheep. I mean, he had sheep. He had a lot of them. And uh, his name was Sam. His dad's name was Sam, his name was Sam, and his son's name was Sam. One day they all three came to church and I walked in and I said, Hi, Sam, and they all answered hi. Kind of confusing. But Sam called me up one day and he says, Pastor, I really hate to ask you this, but I am one person short of of having someone come out to help me with the shearing of the sheep. And uh, do you know of anyone that would mind coming out? And I says, well, I'd I'd be more than willing to help. And he says, well, pastors don't do jobs like that, I know. But uh, do you know of anyone else? I guess he didn't think that I could do it. And I says, well, I was raised on a farm, so I I can help if you want me. And I think he was reluctant and says, well, come on out. Now, if you've seen them shear the sheep, I mean, it's, it's one thing to shear the sheep, but it's the big, huge bag that they put all the wool in. It's way above. You have to get a ladder. It's way above my head. You have to get up there and then put the wool in. But then someone has to get down inside the bag and stomp it down so they can get as much of the wool in as they can get before they seal it all up and then ship it off. Guess what my job was? (laughs) Down in the bag and stomping. I had the softest feet from the lanolin from the sheep's wool than I've ever had in my life, but it was quite an experience. Well, while I was down in the bag, Sam, my church member, not his son or his father, but Sam says, Pastor, can you hear me in there? And I said, Yeah. He says, Well, now that I've got your attention, I need to ask you a question. And I thought, Oh, here it comes. This place stumped the pastor. And I said, Okay, Sam, what is it? And he says, Well, I've I've got to ask you this question because someone in church confronted me with this and they used this Bible text that Gene read. He quoted it, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And he says, Pastor, I am far from being perfect. Do you think I'm going to miss out on heaven? I mean, you could tell by the quiver in his voice that uh, it was bothering him. And the reason why it was bothering him, because this person, this lady that came to church, Her interpretation of this text is that God's people before Jesus comes is going to be totally sinless and perfect just as Jesus was totally sinless and perfect. And he says, Pastor, I'm not sinless. And he says, but it sounds like I'm going to miss out on heaven. And what do you think about that? It was really bothering him. And so I says, well, you know, Sam, I've got some questions, but I mean, I've got some answers, but I just don't want to just dump it out on you. I, if you don't mind, let me research this a little bit, and then I'll get back with you, because he wanted me to come back the next week to shear some more sheep, actually get me back in the bag. I probably look better down in the bag. And I told him when I came back, I said, Sam, This idea of being sinless is not a new idea. I mean, down through the ages, there have been countless people who have believed in that and who are very sincere and teach that and and bring that up. I says, you know, even in our early part of our denomination as Seventh-day Adventists, just shortly after uh, the church came into existence, there was this teaching from some that said that not only did you have to become perfect, but they believed that they were sinless. The counsel that was given to them, which I found in Life Sketches, pages 83 and 84, says that they held that those who are sanctified cannot sin, and this naturally led to the belief that the affections and desires of the sanctified ones were always right and never in danger of leading them into sin. In harmony with these ideas they were practicing, the worst sins under the garb of sanctification and through their deceptive, mesmeric influence were gaining a strange power over some of, the, some of their associates who did not see these seductive theories. She goes on to say, I saw the fearful account that stood against them in the books of records and the terrible guilt that rested upon them for professing complete holiness while their daily acts were offensive in the sight of God. They believed that they were got to a point where they were sinless. Now, I've seen people who have taught this that uh, said, you know, we have to become sinless, we're going to become sinless, the majority of the people that I have seen that have taught this, if you really got to know them, their life was a wreck. I mean, they were they themselves were far from being sinless, and yet they're teaching that. And maybe they don't think that they have it now, but they says we're going to become that way, and their focus is trying to stop their sins. But as they as uh Maury Vendon said one time when you finally get one sin to stop you got four others to take its place that crops up within your life and so they just seem to get farther and farther away had one lady who it was the same lady who talked to sam that came into the church and she was professing sinlessness and she had a flat tire one day and she came to church and and when she got to church she mentioned how she flew off the handle at her husband and got very angry at him because he didn't change the tire fast enough. And one of the conference men was preaching that day. And, and he had been there the week before. He was putting on a, a series of meetings for us. And she had been telling him that, that uh, she is working on her sinlessness. And she's almost there. And, and that he needs to do that as well too. And so when he was there he said to her name, said, Doris, I thought you said you were sinless. How come you got angry at your husband and flew off and really laid in to him? She didn't know what to say to that. She just got angry at the conference man that as well, too. There's always been a problem. The Apostle John had a problem back in his day. Go to 1 John, if you would. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 1 John chapter 1 now John is talking to church members John is up in years he knows he's getting close to the end of his life he's gone through a lot in his day tradition says he was dipped into a vat of boiling oil of course we know he was exiled to the island of Patmos where he was there as a prisoner, John's gone through a lot. And so he's addressing his church members, and he says in verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He says if you think that you're going to get to that point, or if you're there at that point, and think that you have no sin within your life, you're only fooling yourself. I like what the the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary says about this particular passage. It says that the use of the present tense in John's words shows that some were claiming a present and continuing righteousness when in reality they were only deceiving themselves. They are unwilling to admit their own sinfulness. That comes from the SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 632. The question we have to ask is, what is perfection according to what we read in Matthew? There are two areas of perfection that the Bible talks about. We're going to speak about one this week. I thought maybe I could get them both in, but really there's so much and I'm going to split it up in, into two sections. We'll talk about one area this week, and then next week, like Paul Harvey, you'll hear the rest of the story. When John, who wrote this, says, if, if uh, we who have no sin, if we say that we have no sin, what is he talking about? Look at 1 John chapter 1. Verses 5 through 7. This is the message which we have heard from Him, that's from Jesus, and declare to you that God is light and in Him, in Jesus, is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The key word in this passage is is fellowship. What we have to establish here on this earth is a perfect fellowship with God. I mean, that is the key right there. There's no way that a a leper can change his spots. There's no way I can change my sinful nature into a sinless nature. But my key that I have to focus on is a fellowship, a fellowship with God. And again, I refer back to the Bible commentary on this passage: the word fellowship strikes one of the keynotes of the first chapter, where John truly knows Christ will always want other, and will always want to share that knowledge of Christ, that fellowship of Christ, and his companionship with others that they come in steps with. In the book Steps to Christ, it says this: No sooner does one come to Christ then there's born in his heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he's found in Jesus. Those who thus work for others will participate in answering the Savior's prayer when he said that they may be one even as we, the Father and the Son, are one in John 17. The key is, is when I come and have fellowship and come closer and closer and closer to this relationship in Christ. What I'm going to do is my fellowship is going to extend out to others. The the relationship that I have is going to change me. And the change in me is going, and it's not because I am changing myself, it is because as I get closer to him, he begins to change something inside of me, and the love that I begin to experience with Christ is going to automatically come out to others. It's not my focus on my, my sins. It's my focus on the relationship. It's my focus on my relationship with Christ that's going to then come out and be different and begin to come in and to, to uh, share with others and to bring them into that fellowship it's a it's a fellowship that I have that when I see a sinner I don't look at his sins I look at this person as a person that Christ loves just as much as he loves me and I reach out to him it's not his sin that bothers me it's the fact that his relationship needs to be restored with the relationship that I need to have that I'm having with Christ I don't look at their wrongs I don't look at my wrongs I look at what's right and that's the relationship with Christ he is the only answer he's the only one that we need to go to and to make the changes my focus of attention is not upon sin my focus of attention is on a perfect fellowship with God that will reach out to others to help bring them back into a fellowship with the Heavenly Father. Look what Jesus said as He was talking to His disciples when they were in the upper room. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you do what? Who do you love? One another. And why do you do that? You love one another as I have loved you. The focus of attention is on the perfect love of God. And I cannot love one another until I understand that love that God has for me. That sacrifice that he made. So I I have to have that love for one another that he loved me with. That you also love one, one another. By this, by this love. This is the perfect love. All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, now here's where the problem is. Those that usually preach sinlessness so focuses on the sin that they are condemning people. They get angry at people. They point out their sins. They point out their wrongs. Is that the love that Jesus is talking about? He didn't do that. When we come into a fellowship with Christ... We do not become condemning individuals that condemn others, that show our anger, that that, uh, points out the wrongs. It's funny, they always point out the wrongs of the others, but they never point out the wrongs of themselves. That's not what we're to do. That's not the relationship we have. But with the relationship with Christ, He loved me as a sinner. He chose a relationship to have with me while I am still in my sins, as terrible as I am. He loves me, and I must do the same with others. And when I come to that type of a relationship, when I come to that type of understanding, that love is going to reach out, not to condemn others, but to bring others to say, you know, I was just like you. I still have thoughts. I still have temptations. I still have problems, but the solution to my problem is Jesus Christ. can't do it on my own. I can't do anything on my own, but the key is this fellowship with Jesus. He gives to me hope. He gives to me strength. And He gives to me His promises of deliverance. And that's what I cling on to. But I wouldn't know those things unless if I knew Jesus and trusted Him. He continues the same uh, subject in John chapter 17. Look at that. John 17, verses 20 through 26. Look what Jesus says. He still with His disciples. He knows he's gone to the cross. John 17, verses 20 through 26. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they all may be one as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, and they also may be one in us. See that fellowship? That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me. That they may be made what? Perfect in one. That's that fellowship. Perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me. How are they going to know? They're going to see it in us. They're going to see that perfect love, that perfect fellowship in us. And I've loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Do you see what it's talking about? Jesus is saying, "Look." If you really want to be ready for heaven, you've got to have this fellowship with the Father that Jesus had. You've got to understand this perfect love that He has. And this love... This love, as you begin to understand it, as you begin to close in on this, as you see that this love is different than any love you've ever seen in this whole wide world, then this love is what you're going to reach out and people are going to say, wow, you are disciples of Jesus Christ. You're not here to condemn me. You're here to be able to show me what you have experienced yourself. And what you have is what I want. And that is the perfection that has to start within us. It cannot start any other place else except with the love of the Father. And the people that I see that teaches sinlessness, usually 99.9% of the time, do not have the love of the Father in them. They do not see it, they do not feel it, and they do not show it. They're too busy condemning. They're too busy getting angry at individuals. They're too busy focusing on the wrongs. The wrongs of the church, the wrongs of the conference, the wrongs of the denomination. Brothers and sisters, if you want to look at wrongs, then you look at everybody else in the church because we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But praise be to God that He sent His Son Jesus out of great love for us so that we might have life while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to become perfect. Now, for His disciples just before Jesus comes, one of the areas that the world is going to see in these individuals is the perfect love of Christ. And without that, without that as a basis, they see nothing. It's got to start there. So where do we work on in our perfection? If you're trying to get rid of your sins, you're starting in the wrong place. Because This mortal body is not going to become immortal until Jesus comes. This sin-filled body will not be sinless until Jesus comes. But boy, I'm going to have the perfect love of Christ because He first loved me. So the first area of perfectionism is in the area of love. And others are going to see that perfect fellowship, that perfect love, and something is going to happen to them. So how does that love come about? Go back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. First John, John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He starts out, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Look at your life. When I have this relationship, this fellowship with Jesus Christ... I can boldly stand against anything that the devil dishes out in my life. Now some of you have had a lot of things dished out in your life. From cancer to breakups of families to financial hardships to drugs, death within your family, all kinds of things. But that perfect love that I have in Jesus Christ does not allow those things to keep me to live in fear. That's what the devil wants, is to live in fear of everything. But I can boldly stand because of Jesus Christ. In the day of judgment, by the way, who is it that's standing next to me in the day of judgment? Remember, it's Jesus. I can boldly stand Because I know that Jesus is with me through any event that I find myself in. What a fantastic thing. Here's a quote taken from the devotional book, Sons and Daughters of God. Now please listen to this. And I quote, There are many who desire to love and serve God, and yet when afflictions come upon them, They do not discern the love of God. But the bad of the enemy is what they discern. They mourn and murmur and complain. But this is not the fruit of love to God in the soul. If we have perfect love, she says, we shall know that God is not seeking to injure us, but in the midst of our trials and griefs and pains, he is seeking to make us perfect. Sinless, perfect in love. He is seeking to make us perfect and to test, to test the quality of our faith. See, how my faith is going to determine whether I love Him or whether I understand His love. Let me continue on. When we cease to worry about the future and begin to believe that God loves us and means to do us good, we shall trust Him as a child trusts a loving parent. Then our troubles and torments will disappear and our will will be swallowed up in the will of God that's when I understand the love no matter what trial I go through whatever problem takes place whatever looks like there is no solution whatsoever to this situation I find myself in what this is saying is that my perfect love that I begin to see because of what God has done and what he has sent in Jesus Christ Because of that perfect love, I know that the love of the Father so loves me, He's going to get me through this crisis. He has a solution to the problem, and I put my trust in Him. That's perfect love. That's what the world wants to see. How in the world can you go through a crisis like what you're going through and still not fall to pieces? How can you go through that crisis praising God when the rest of the world murmurs and complains and points their fingers and the blames on something else. And you can say, because the Father loves me so much, He sent His Son, Jesus. And because He sent His Son, Jesus, to die that I might have life, He knows He's not out of control. He knows the situation I'm in, and He will deliver me. to know what perfection is before Jesus comes? It's my perfection in the fellowship and the love of Jesus Christ. And that love then is going to begin to permeate out from me and reach out to others. And so the test is, if you go through the crisis and you complain and murmur and point fingers at the other person, you haven't experienced that love. We will know when our love is perfected. When we can rest in the loving arms of Jesus Christ no matter what is going on in our lives. We can be in a building in New York City that has planes crashing into it and the building is on fire and ready to collapse. And the love of God says... I'm in the hands of Jesus. If I die, I have eternal life. If I live and I'm spared, I've got the love of God that still goes with me. No matter what situation I find myself in, God still loves me. There's another area that we need to perfect. I said there's two. The first one is our love, our fellowship with the Father. And as we have that fellowship with the Father, We're going to go out and to witness that love to others, and they're going to see and know we're disciples because of that perfect love. By the way, if you want to know what the perfect love of the Father is, go to the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is the perfect love chapter that explains the love of God. That's exactly what He's like. That's what His love is like for your life. He doesn't deviate from that one iota. If you want to know what the love is like and you feel like you're lacking it, you go to there and you say, Lord, I see your love now. I'm beginning to understand. Maybe reveal more to me, but help me to understand and help that love to begin to make the change in my hardened heart so that I don't condemn others, but I can reach out and allow your love to permeate through me and reach out to others. No matter what condition I'm in now, no matter what sin is dished out, no matter what's taking place, you're going to be the channel of love through my life. That's perfect love. But there's another area that we need to look at and we need to perfect as a follower of Christ. But we're going to look at that next week. For right now, let's take our hymnals and let's turn and talk about this love as we turn to hymn number 75 and we sing the wonder of it all. Because that's what it is. It, it's its It's amazing to think that the way I am, that God loves me. Hymn number 75. Let's stand together as we sing about this love of God. Father, that love that you have for us must be so penetrating into our hardened hearts that it begins to change us so that we might love others as you have loved us. May we truly be the disciples based on our love and fellowship with others as we begin to witness that love to others is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.